130. Episode 130, Fried Squirms. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fucking Devil's Rejects Day. I'm so excited. Man, you I don't know I what both. I'm going to say, though, because I just fucking love this movie. But I guess we'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. No doubt. Before we get there, how's your week, man? It's been pretty good. It's not really been a busy week, but it's been productive for the most part. I've done a couple of drafts, some fantasy football drafts for I'd the say, upcoming season. We're on the verge of, like, real football season. Yeah. So I've been getting pretty excited about that myself. I don't do the fantasy thing like you, but... That's understandable, dude. I do it mostly just to socialize, but... Yeah, I did a couple of drafts this week. Caught a film mm. that I haven't watched in a while, and once I catch it, I mean, I just put it in my DVD player, but <laughs> I watched a film that inspired me because we had talked about it during our Swamp Thing episode with Zach, so I did watch Bubba Hotep this week, mm. and watch the Dave Chappelle special, so just catching up on a couple of things I've been missing out on. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I finished Mindhunter, finished Young Justice, I don't know, been pretty much the same, just getting caught up on shit. Not really doing anything too exciting. Just sitting around, playing some Red Dead. <laughs> nice. Playing with my cat. That's about it. Cool, dude. So I did come across a few bits of news. Not a whole lot turning this week, but still pretty relative. So just like the weeks prior, I'll go ahead and start off on the horror side of the television news. And for those who are fans of Mike Flanagan, he's done such things as Gerald's Game. He's the director of the upcoming Doctor Sleep, which I'm really looking forward to. But... He does have a, it looks like a new series, it's called The Haunting of Bly Manor, and there's been several faces that have been cast. One of the newer names is Tania Miller, so along with her we have Oliver Jackson Cohen, Kate Siegel's on board, Victoria Pedretti, and Henry Thomas from E.T. So for those who know Flanagan, he has a particular style, I mean he's worked on several adaptations of Stephen King, so from what I read, just a little bit of what I read is supposed to be quote-unquote scary so okay we'll see yeah we'll see another bit of news which i'm really looking forward to because i'm a fan of the films it's another one of those stephen king adaptations along with george romero believe it or not is the new and upcoming creep show that's going to be on shutter so it's going to premiere on the 26th of this month the way they're going to do it is there's going to be six episodes with 12 total segments so each episode is going to have two segments and they're going to show them, I think it's weekly, so weekly? you can, don't expect okay. them to drop all at once. But mm-hmm. I do have some news concerning at least the first two segments. I won't spoil a whole lot, but the first segment is called Grey Matter. It is a story by Stephen King. It is directed by Greg Nicotero, big name in special effects. Some of the stars of this particular episode is going to be Giancarlo Esposito from Better Call Saul. You're also going to have Tobin Bell from the Saw series and Adrian Barbeau. Cool. Yeah. And then the next particular segment, it is called The House of the Dead. It is written by Josh Mallerman from uh, the Bird Box fame and directed by John Harrison. So expect those two on September 26th, and it's going to run every Thursday all the way through Halloween. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. pretty excited about that. So on the movie front, I did see an interesting bit. This is the writer-slash-director Richard Kelly. For those who are not familiar, he is the writer and director of such films as Donnie Darko, Southland Tales, The Box. But what he's doing is he's going to chronicle the true story of Twilight Zone's creator Rod Serling. Oh, I thought I heard something about that. That's neat. What I think is going to be cool about that is... Serling did so much work. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... 
you know, Jordan Peele doing his version of Twilight Zone, so it's still kind of fresh. Which I still feel bad that I haven't watched also. I haven't either. I don't normally watch, like, the lettered networks, ABC, CBS, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But, I mean, eventually I'll get down that path. But I was like, this will be interesting because I am a fan of a lot of his works. I'm a fan of Twilight Zone, the old one with Rod Serling. I watched that with one of my uncles growing up. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see what he does with that. All right, I've got two other bits of news, and that kind of rounds out what I've found kind of interesting for the week. All right, so for fans of the original RoboCop, Arrow Video is bringing it to Blu-ray here in the States and the U.K., with brand new bonus features. So just like most of the things that Arrow does, it's going to include a 4K restoration, which if you have 4K, that's going to be looking really nice. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, no kidding, right? It is going to be two discs, so you'll have the director's cut and the theatrical cut. For those who are curious, the Blu-ray is releasing November 25th in the United Kingdom and then here in the States on the 26th. Okay. All right, and the last... Keep that in mind. I might actually buy that that's for... uh it's a paul verhoven yeah yeah he's an interesting filmmaker we'll see yeah maybe maybe you never know all right last little bit of news i have also involves shutter this more or less is just a couple of the new arrivals that is coming for streaming here in september so one of the ones that is coming out which i actually own a copy of it still haven't watched it it's another south korean film and that is train to basan it's dropping on september 9th on the 16th of this month, Hands of the Ripper. It sounds like it's going to be about the infant daughter of Jack the Ripper. So that should be interesting. So on the 23rd, there's two films. So September 23rd, there's going to be Twins of Evil and Vampire Circus. And then on the 30th of this month, The Taking of Deborah Logan. Now, I have heard a lot of people comment on that particular film. I know there's a mixed bunch when it comes to found footage style films in the Mm -hmm. horror genre. But this apparently is one of the better ones, and I've seen that from a lot of people. So I might be a little bit more inclined to watch that. So those are some of the films that Shudder is releasing along with Creep Show. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much the news that kind of caught my eye. And everything else is just some of the films we've got coming up that we're looking forward to as far as seeing in the theaters. So I'm just checking out the RoboCop now, see if I'm going to buy it or not. <laughs> well, you got Kurtwood Smith in that, so that's uh, that's always a plus. <laughs> I really like the Arrow stuff, but I'm not super impressed with the cover art. Yeah, it's kind of basic, but I do like still books. I've been kind of slowly becoming a fan of those. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to decide on that. Anyway, what are we up to? Fucking, I zoned out on RoboCop. No, I was just saying, that's pretty much the news of the week that caught my eye. You know, we kind of caught up people. We've been up to, aside from us looking forward to some of the films that are coming out soon. Fuck, yeah. I suppose let's just jump into the guts and bolts then. I don't have any news. I looked at shit and I'm like, yeah, Yeah. nothing too interesting. Yeah, nothing too interesting, but, you know, nonetheless. Cool. Let's do it. Guts and bolts. Ooh. It's another easy guts and bolts because we've already covered half the people in this before. We really have. It will make it a lot easier for us to talk about them, but... There is a uh, there's a lot of new people. people, yeah, which is really cool too. So I guess for the main cast, you can probably refer back to some of the films episode thirty eight, yeah, thirty eight. In, in particular, since Devil's Rejects is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, yeah. But I guess that can lead us kind of into yeah. a synopsis. This is the spoiler free synopsis part of the episode. So Devil's Rejects is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. Picks up seven months after. 
when the brother of Sheriff Wydell decides to come for his revenge against the Firefly family and the uh, ensuing manhunt that ensues. Yeah, the follows <laughs> ensues, yeah. Ensue. <laughs> so, yeah, ensuing that ensues. I think that's a really good brief synopsis of what this film entails. From week to week, of course, we like to talk about our cast and crew. I'll go ahead and start off with our crew, and our director, once again, is Rob Zombie, because it is the follow-up to House of a Thousand Corpses, which we have mentioned we've covered on episode 38. Some of the other film credits that we can talk about real briefly is he's also known for directing the 2007 Halloween and followed up with Halloween 2. He's also the director of The Lords of Salem, the film 31, and the upcoming Three from Hell, which was one of the films we're actually going to be seeing pretty soon. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, along with directing, he's also credited with writing the screenplay, and it is, of course, based off some of the characters from his previous film. Our cinematographer is actually a really interesting person, and that is Phil Parmet. Now, part of the reason why Rob Zombie chose Phil to be the DP was because he has a little bit of background with making documentaries, so he's comfortable using handheld cameras, kind of give you a little bit more of that visceral feel. So some of the films that Phil has helped uh, become the cinematographer for are such films as Four Rooms, the segment The Wrong Man, which I really like that film a lot. He's also responsible for Grindhouse, the werewolf women of the SS segment. Mm. He's also helped with Rob Zombie's Halloween, the film The Burrowers, and the film The Roommate. Our editor on the film is Glenn Garland. He's helped edit such films as Grindhouse, the segment Werewolf, Women of the SS, Halloween 1 and 2, Lords of Salem, 31, and the television series The Vampire Diaries that was from 2014 and 17. He's also helped edit Preacher from 2018 and more recently Stand Against Evil, which was a television series from 2016 and 18, and of course the upcoming Three from Hell. All right, the music, really cool name. This was done by Tyler Bates. And this person, I mean, literally has a wealth of credits. So he's helped on such projects as Dawn of the Dead. He helped compose the music for that. The film Slither, the film See No Evil, the film 300, Doomsday, Halloween. I love Doomsday. Yeah, I mean, even video games, stuff like Watchmen, uh, The End is Nigh, Transformer War for Cybertron. The film Sucker Punch, which is really cool. Conan the Barbarian, God of War Extension. I mean, like some really cool shit. A lot of television series, a lot of films. He's also helped compose music for like Marilyn Manson, some of his videos and stuff. So really interesting guy. So moving along, we have special effects team. It was done by Precinct 13 Entertainment. Some big names, actually. Robert Kurtzman helped with this, and so did Wayne Toth. Produced by Mike Elliott, Andy Gould, Marco Mellitz, Michael Ohoven, and Rob Zombie, of course. A litter of production companies. I'll try to breeze through them. You have Lionsgate Films. They help present the film. Cinerenta helped present it. Cine Lambda, they also helped present the film. There was Devil's Rejects Incorporated. They helped in association with. There was Intash Entertainment, Firm Films, Creep Entertainment International, and Spectacle Entertainment Group. The distributor was Lionsgate's Films. They helped with the 2005 United States theatrical release. It was released on July 22, 2005. It had an estimated budget of about $7 million, and it grossed $19.4 million. That's cumulative worldwide. I've got a few taglines. The first one I have is, Death Walks Behind, Hell Waits Ahead. Uh, okay. And the second one I have is, Hell Doesn't Want Them. Hell doesn't need them, 
Hell doesn't love them. This world rejects them. <laughs> All right. So that rounds out our crew. All right. So we have talked a lot about some of these people already and our cast. So I'll lead off with one of our main actors, and that's Sid Haig. He plays the role of Captain Spaulding and Cutter. Same person. I mean, he's got some really cool credits. One of them that kind of still stands out to me was that he was Apothecary in the Batman 1966 television right. series. It's like, that is really cool. It's like in Foxy Brown, Jackie Brown, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's a bunch of Rob Zombie films. A lot of exploitation films, too. So, And we talked about him in Death House? We did. We sure did. Surprisingly enough. All right, so moving along, we have Bill Mosley. He plays the role of Otis Driftwood. We've talked about him before, not only with House of a Thousand Corpses, but we've also talked about him during Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 because he plays Chop Top, which he says that's actually maybe his favorite role that he's ever done to date. Well, Chop Top's amazing. Yeah. Some other credits include things like Army of Darkness. Love that fucking film. He was in Night of the Living Dead, the 1990 version. Repo, the genetic opera. Yeah. He was also in Death House, which we've covered as well. <laughs> he was also in the television series Carnival, which I really enjoy. There's another actor who was in that as well with him. And there's another actor who appears in this briefly, and they've done like six movies together, if I'm not mistaken, which is really cool. I'll get to him here in just a moment. All right, so moving along, we have Sherry Moon Zombie, of course, the wife of Mr. Rob Zombie. And in every one of his films? Yeah, she's in every one of his films. She's only Is she appeared... in anything else? Yeah, she's only appeared in one other film that was not directed by Rob oh, Zombie. Okay. And it was actually a Toby Hooper film. Oh. Yeah. Shit. Okay. Really cool. That's yeah. Cool. All right. So some of the things... Well, first off, she plays Baby Firefly, or Vera Ellen Baby Firefly. Of course, you've mentioned she's pretty much in all Rob Zombie's films. Probably one of my favorite ones that she's in is in The Lords of Salem. I really like that film. Yeah, I'd say this and Lords of Salem are my two favorite performances ever. Yeah, so if you need to know more film credits, just look at Rob Zombie's film credits. All right, so moving along, we have William Forsyth. He plays the role of Sheriff John Quincy Wydale. And some of my favorite films that he has been in include such films as Raising Arizona. That's arguably my favorite Nick Cage film. He was also in the film Dick Tracy, which is really dope. I think he played Flat Top in that, if I'm not mistaken. He was also in the film The Rock. You might have seen him in Blue Streak. He was also in Rob Zombie's Halloween. And I honestly remember him most from Blue Streak. I watched that movie. That's a, it's time. a good film. I actually <laughs> like that film. And I won't say more recently, but uh, another role that he was really known for was uh, Boardwalk Empire from 2011 and 12. I think he was also uh, J. Edgar minutes. Hoover. Yeah, he was in that with Pacino. But he was also in The Man in the High Castle as J. Edgar wow. Hoover, which I thought was really neat. All right, moving along, we have Ken Foray. He plays the role of Charlie Altamont. Surprisingly, we haven't talked about him before, but today oh, we get to. Yeah, because we haven't covered. I don't f- think any Romero stuff, have we? Not well. Have we? Have we not covered any I don't Romero? Think so. Have we somehow skipped all of Romero? We got to fix <laughs> that shit first off. It's gonna happen. I mean, we've covered other zombie films, but. But we also haven't covered Keenan and Kel. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, Ken has been in, of course, Dawn of the Dead from '78. You had mentioned Keenan and Kel from like 1996 through 2000. Ah, here it goes. He was also in a George Romero film entitled Night Riders. 
Oh, shit. Okay. He was in the film From Beyond. He was also in Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part I, 3. I am legit feeling bad that we haven't covered any Romero. Have not a single Romero? I don't believe so. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, we got to fix that. Shit. And he was also one of the DJs in The Lords of Salem. All right. So the other person I mentioned was in Carnival with Bill Mosley, and that is Matthew McGrory. He plays oh. Tiny Firefly. The other films that I have him in are Bubble Boy. I really like that film a lot. Another actor is actually in that film with him. He was also in House of a Thousand Corpses. That's the other episode we talked about him in. All right, so we have a new actress playing the role of Mother Firefly, and that is Leslie Easterbrook. She plays, of course, Gloria, Mother Firefly. Now, she started off in some pretty interesting television roles. She was in Laverne and Shirley from 1980 and 1983, which I used to watch, actually. She was also in Police Academies Part 1, three, four, five, and six, and also the film Mission of Moscow. She was also a part of Rob Zombie's Halloween. She was also in the film 24, based off of the television series, and a film called Greater, which I don't know anything about. I just saw it pop up a bunch. All right, so the next actor I have is Dave Sheridan, who plays the role of Officer Ray Dobson. <laughs> well, you and I were laughing about this earlier, because if you haven't seen it, Run out as fast as you can and watch this film. It's called Scary Movie. He plays Officer Doofy. Oh, my God. One of my favorite roles. Fucking Doofy. I love it, yeah. He was also in Bubble Boy with Matthew McGrory. He was also in such films as Ghost World. Really like that. He plays this, like, really ripped dude with a mullet. That's always eating beef jerkies at a convenience store. He was also in the films Corky Romano, Frank McCluskey C.I., which, dude, that movie is so silly. I really like that film. He was also in Little Man... Horrible Bosses, and the film Victor Crowley. All right. The next actress I have is E.G. Daly. She plays the role of Fucking Candy. Fucking Tommy Pickles. Tommy Pickles is in this film, ladies and gentlemen. She's also... As a whore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's also voiced, uh, like, some of the Powderpuff Girl characters. Yeah, she's Bubbles? She has a really kind of bubbly voice, you know? Mm-hmm. So... If you grew up watching Nickelodeon, oh, yeah, Disney Channel, Cartoon Network, you've probably heard her voice. Now, she's also been in such films as Valley Girl, Nick Cage film, really good. She was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure as Dottie, which kind of blows my mind a little bit. She was in the film Better Off Dead, the film Dutch, which I really like that film a lot. She's also in the film 31. Moving along, we have Jeffrey Lewis. He plays the role of Roy Sullivan. This dude has so many film credits. I know he was in a bunch of Clint Eastwood films. From what I understood, he didn't have like major roles in those films, but the scenes that he had with them, he kind of chewed up the scenery. So he was kind of known for that. I know he's been in a bunch of horror films, a lot of television series. Just a wealth of credits to his name. Double Impact, JCVD. Really interesting character, man. So moving along, one of the actresses that really blew my mind, because I didn't place her when I saw this film, but I course i saw her roles and it's like holy shit and that actress is priscilla barnes she plays the role of loria sullivan which is the partner of roy sullivan now kind of controversial she took over the role of suzanne summer's character in three's company but her personality was different they said the fans kind of grew to really enjoy her character but she was in that television series from 1981 through 84 along with john ritter who we talked about last week she was also in the film believe it or not licensed to kill which is really dope. She was in Mall Rats. Yeah. I love that, man. She's a fortune teller. That's right. The reason three I didn't recognize her, yeah, is because she didn't have three nipples in this film. She was also in the television series Jane the Virgin from... She would have had that third nipple in this film. Maybe she would have been able to tell what was going to happen to her. I know. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> All 
right. Uh, the next actress I have is Kate Norby. She plays the role of Wendy Banjo. She's been in such things as Boston Public, the television series from 03 and 04. She was in Mad Men from 2007 and a Bill Paxton series, Big Love, from 2009 through 2011. The next actor I have is Lou Temple. He plays the role of Adam Banjo. And that kind of completes the Sullivan and Banjo act in right. this film. And he's been in some really cool films. There's a film I highly recommend. It's a comedy about marijuana. It's one well, of my favorite subjects. And that film is Rolling Kansas. I, I love marijuana. Marijuana's. <laughs> He was also in the film 21 Grams. He was a part of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning film. He was also in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He was in Trailer Park of Terror. He was also in the Walking Dead television series from Axel. 2012 and 13. He's Axel yep. for all you Walking Dead fans out there. Yeah, he was in the film 31. And believe it or not, more recently, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was pretty cool. All right, the next actor I have is Danny Trejo. He plays the role of Rondo. He's been in some dope-ass films. There's so many, it's hard to name all of them. I'll just name a few that caught my eye. He was in Maniac Cop 2. He was in the film Heat. Probably more famously from Con Ducks Air. Till Dawn. Yeah, he was in Con Air. He was in Anaconda. He was in a bunch of those Spy Kids films. Which oh, yeah, I think he played the role Machete. of Machete. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's Uncle Machete. He was also in Bubble Boy. So he was another actor in that film. He was also in the Grindhouse film Planet Terror. He was also in Halloween. We talked about Machete. He was in Machete and Machete Kills. He was also in Sons of Anarchy. And uh, he's in the upcoming Three from Hell as well. Really like Danny Trejo. If you don't know who Coming Danny Trejo is, yeah, what are you doing? All right, next actor I have, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page. He plays the role of Billy Ray Snapper. So he is a professional wrestler if you haven't grown up in the 90s ddp yeah like during the wcw days and wa days you know page joseph falkenberg man he was in the film ready to rumble huge fan of that he was also in snoop dogg's hood of horror and he was in a wesley snipes film gallo walkers oh shit he was in gallo walker i've seen gallo walkers i like gallo walkers yeah dude you know you keep mentioning it i need to like finally take some time out to watch I really, that i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would i watched it kind of for the novelty of it so we're gonna go off on a small tangent <laughs> for all, right. all of you so you know who, what where the fuck we're talking about gallo walkers was the movie that wesley snipes filmed in 2006 yeah it was a I while think. back wasn't it and then it just sat around until he got out of prison yeah he got caught up in that tax evasion shit and I don't know why they weren't able to release it or if they just decided to like bank on yeah. the publicity of him getting out of I prison see, to yeah, wait to release it until then because there wasn't very many high hopes for it. But it's kind of a horror supernatural, Wild West movie. And I actually really dug it. Nice. Anyway. I know you've recommended it a few times to me, so I look forward to watching that. All right, so I'm going to breeze through a couple of these next names. Not that they don't have like some claim to fame because they do. It's just some of them have limited roles in this film. So the first person I'm going to mention is Brian Pesane. He plays the role of Jimmy. I know Brian, not personally, but I know him from the television series Mr. Show with Bob and Dave. He was in a bunch of those skits. He was also a part of the Sarah Silverman Project. He's a stand-up comedian as well. He was the roadie with Sullivan and Banjo crew. All right, the next actress I have is Ginger Lynn Allen. She plays the role of Fanny. She's in a dream sequence. <laughs> and for those who do know, she was a porn actress back in the 80s. And I think she came back in the late 90s and did a couple of roles. But And she dated Ralph Garman. 
for a little wow, bit. Wow, really? Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> That's one, just one of the things I know from being a big fan of Hollywood Babylon. Wow. Okay, yeah. so there you go. All right. The next actor I have is Michael Berryman. He plays the role of Cleavon in this film. We've actually talked about him because we've covered him in Wes Craven's The Hills of Eyes. He was also in Death House. He was also, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Weird Science, I think he was. Oh, shit. He was part of that biker gang. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so interesting guy. Like I said, very recognizable. All right, another actress we've talked about, it's just been a while since we've actually talked about her, and that is PJ Souls. She plays the role of Susan. She is the mother of the child who gets talked to by Captain Spaulding right. in the parking lot. So for those who don't know PJ Soul, she is Linda in the original Halloween. She was also in Brian De Palma's Carrie. She was also in Rock and Roll High School. She was in some really more interesting things, but I think that's pretty much some of the bigger things that she's been in. Next actress I have is Deborah von Valkenberg, and she plays the role of Cassie. She's another one of the ladies of the night Oh right, okay. in this film. When I looked at her, I was like, I didn't really recognize her. But then I saw that she was Mercy in yeah. The Warriors. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, shit. No doubt. She also reprised that role in the video game adaptation of that as well, which is really cool. She's been in some television series as well, which is really cool. But still nice to see that she's getting work. All right. The next actor I have in this is Daniel Roebuck. He plays the role of Morris Green. So he's like one of the television personalities that you see in the background. Now, I looked at him. He's got some really interesting credits to his name. So he started off in some things like The Fugitive. He was also in the spinoff film U.S. Marshals. He played Jay Leno in The Late Shift, Mm. which was the movie about Jay Leno and Mm -hmm. uh, David Letterman, which is really cool. He was also Dr. Leslie Artst in Lost. And he's been in numerous Rob Zombie films, of course, and Don Coscarelli films. It's really cool. All right, next actor I have is Dwayne Whitaker. He plays kind of opposite of Daniel Roebuck in that little television skit. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he plays Dr. Bankhead in this film. I think a lot of people probably recognize him if you've ever seen Pulp Fiction, perhaps, because he plays the sadistic pawn shop owner, Maynard, in that film. He was also the racist cop in Tales from the Hood. You might have seen him in the film Feast. He was also in Trailer Park of Terror. He played Luther in From Dusk Till Dawn Part 2. Really cool seeing him in this. All right, the next person I have is Tyler Maine. He plays uh, Rufus, RJ Fireflies. Tyler Maine, we have talked about before, but I can't remember why. But He was in X-Men. He played Sabretooth. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, X-Men, the official game. He was Ajax and Troy. He was Michael Myers in the remake of Halloween and its sequel, of course, Halloween Part Two. Professional wrestler as well. <laughs> this is really neat. He was in Joe Dirt, which I thought was really neat. <laughs> There's one uncredited role I want to bring up just because I think it's really neat with the way that all the influences for this movie came together. As we pointed out in House of a Thousand Corpses, one of the big influences, of course, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was based on Ed Gein. And a very specific influence for the character of Otis is Charles Manson, of course. Steve Railsback is uncredited as Sheriff Ken Dwyer. And I bring him up because he played Ed Gein in Ed Gein. Oh, nice. Yeah, and yeah. he played Charles Manson in the 1976 <laughs> Helter Skelter. Makes sense why he would be cast in this film. Now, of course, there is a segment, which I think we'll probably bring up later on, which they didn't use a particular actress, but she oh. has a really interesting deleted scene. 
Yeah, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll get the, to that later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, it's a loaded roster of actors, really cool crew. We gave you guys a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings because this film definitely warrants some warnings. First off, if you take the amount of times they say fuck in this movie, <laughs> it averages out to a little bit of over two a minute. I can believe it. I, I saw some information <laughs> saying before the film, I think it's called Fuck or Fucked or something like that. Mm-hmm. This was arguably the most use of fuck in any film. It to used to be in the top 10 for a number of years. And not counting documentaries, I think it's still in the top 15. That's amazing. <laughs> but I think it makes sense. It's two documentaries that I think take the number one and two spots. Nice. This is up there with like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. For how many times Jesus. they use it. That makes sense. Right, so, so there's a fucking lot of language. A lot of language. Shock full of that. There are a lot of sexual, sexual assault. themes. Sexual assault. There's a lot of violence. There's blood and gore. Drug use. Prostitution. <laughs> blasphemy? There is blasphemy. <laughs> there's shootouts. It kind of runs the gamut. Yeah. It does kind of run the gamut. And a lot of the ways it isn't really structured like... A normal horror movie, but there's not much else that you could call this movie. I agree with that. It's almost like if Easy Rider were a horror movie. Yeah, for sure. Which is weird, because you would think with the way this movie plays out, it would be a lot more like The Hitcher, but it is not. (laughs) No, it's not. But I think that's a good throwback reference, though, because that's kind of what it feels like. I mean, it kind of runs the gamut. It's not the most extreme movie. There's a lot of movies we've covered that beat this out in a number of ways. But on the whole, like you're getting a, a lot of movie, content for this movie. Yeah, for a mainstream movie, this has some pretty graphic content. Yeah, especially when you just get into the way that people are fucked with in this movie, I guess. So we'll talk about that more in detail as we go into how did Devil's Rejects make us squeal. How does that make you squeal? Oh, shit, it's finally here. We're getting to talk about Devil's Rejects, Danny. I know, I'm excited, man. Now, we mentioned last week, too, we didn't mean to plan it this way, but coincidentally enough, when we recorded It Chapter 1 from the miniseries and then House of a Thousand Corpses, we didn't necessarily have that planned out because we had had a, um, a failed episode. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just funny how it, we're doing it in tandem again. So that's yeah, fine. Excited, what, yeah. what did we do after House of a Thousand Corpses last time? We could follow it up. With some, I'm going to look oh, it up damn, just to see good. if we can follow it up. I completely forgot because it's been a hot minute. But regardless, I do have a bit of history. I believe you do as well. So when this film first came out, we mentioned it came out in 2005. And at the time, I was starting to play music. And one of the bandmates that I was with, he and I went to see this film in the theater when it came out. And for me, it didn't disappoint. Like, I was a fan immediately because. We had mentioned before, we're big fans of House of Thousand Corpses. Last time we followed that with Sleepaway Camp, so I don't really feel like Sleepaway Camp, too. Yeah, I think I I was... I'll say soft pass, not necessarily hard pass, (laughs) because it would be fun to talk about it, but not necessarily right now. But yeah, regardless, like I said, I have a history with this. I did get to see it in the theater when it came out. I don't remember if I saw it in the theater when it came out. 2005, right? I'm not positive I got a chance to. I might have. What I remember more is the amount of times I devoured it once I got it on DVD. Oh, I completely understand that. I was trying to relate to somebody earlier this week about how excited I am just to get the chance. Because I was going to rewatch it anyway, because we had Three from Hell coming up. But 
it's a little bit different being like, oh, cool, I get to sit down for two days in a row and fucking watch this movie. Because I was trying to tell somebody, I'm like, I'm so excited, I fucking love this movie. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, how do I explain this to him? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've definitely watched it three times within a 20-hour period before. Not even studying to do something. Just like, right, just oh, no, fun. I'm fucking watching this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's over with, I'm going to watch it again. Oh, I'm going to watch it, I'm going to show it to someone. That's when you like, know you really dig a film. I mean, there's, on a few occasions, I've done something similar where it's like, yeah, let's watch that again, that was fucking dope. And then it's like, you know what, let's do it one more time. <laughs> And when it comes down to it, because we were talking about how things lined up from last time, I love House of a Thousand Corpses, but Devil's Rejects is my favorite of the two. Nice. Yeah, this one is definitely much grittier. This one is more visceral. I mean, of course, we'll get into all the details later, but this one has a certain aesthetic that really does have a throwback to that 70s feel. Like, I don't remember my first time watching it. Right. But what do you remember most that stood out from you from your earliest time? Without being it? Too, like overtly specific, because I remember I do remember being excited for it because I was exposed to House of a Thousand Corpses first and fucking loved that. So, so this one because I, of course, had seen House of a Thousand Corpses beforehand. I knew about, of course, that and seeing. I think the trailer for this is like, oh, this is going to be. Hopefully, it would be raw, and it did. It delivered on that promise. I liked it. I didn't expect it maybe to be as visceral as it was because I feel like House is a little bit more campy. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more of a, a caricature of the characters because it's from a different perspective. So this one, I remember leaving the theater and I was like, man, that was super fucking raw. And I liked it. Like, I liked the ending. I liked the bits in between. There was some, like, so some really heavy moments and I was like, wow, they got away with a lot of shit. So, I, I mean, I enjoyed it the first time through. Yeah, fucking, I guess that's what stood out to me, too, is, like, it felt a lot more different than I thought it was. Like, I thought we were going to be getting House of a Thousand Corpses Part 2. <laughs> yeah. And this is a, its own movie. It certainly is. Does away with the silliness of House of a Thousand Corpses that's inherent. Yeah. Like, Otis is that. no longer an albino. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a solid point. Although we get a deleted scene, I'm glad it was kept out of the final cut. You don't get any Dr. Satan. Don't need him. No, you don't need him. Throws off the vibe of the movie. And it's just, yeah, straight ahead. I don't know. It felt a lot more grounded, a lot more real. Yeah, this Um, one. But also, just because I've always loved lore and this and that, what I loved about this is how it expounded upon the relationship all the characters had. And just like the fucking mind explosion moment where i'm like captain spaulding is baby's dad yeah exactly <laughs> and you're like wow okay that i did not see that coming but it kind of makes sense when you given her mother and not just that so i did some research because i remember doing it back in the day when the website was still active there was a lot of tie-in promotional material so that there is i figured out <laughs> so in case somebody doesn't know because who knows how much more we're going to get it expounded upon going into Three from Hell. I'll go into the relationships all really quick. Yeah. And this will span across a couple characters mm-hmm. that we didn't get in this movie, too. But Mama Firefly, I saw conflicting things. I saw one where her actual birth name was like something weird that she never went by again in her entire life. But her earliest name that really matters is Gloria Teasdale. As Gloria Teasdale, at some point, is when she was with Earl Firefly, who's the professor in House of a Thousand Corpses, and is RJ's dad, 
well, is presumed to be RJ's dad, but since he is called RJ Jr. at one point, it's possible that she had an affair and he had a different dad. Right. I did read some information about that with RJ. But he's for sure Tiny's, Tiny's dad. Which makes sense. I mean, they explain that in house. Later on, she was going by Ava Wilson. And that's when she got with Captain Spaulding and they had Vera Ellen, which is baby. baby right. Spaulding, on the other hand... His real name was Johnny Lee Johns. He grew up in an orphanage and was adopted by the Altamont family. And that's when he met Charlie Altamont and their brothers, their adoptive brothers. Sweet. But they're actual brothers. Like, he was adopted by the Altamonts. So yeah, he got Cutter because of when he killed a guy by stabbing him to death. Makes sense. Then where it all sort of ends up weirdly tying together is Otis. Otis Driftwood was born to supremely abusive and neglectful parents who didn't even give him a name. So his name is Otis B. Driftwood after he took a name for himself once he got away from them. He committed his first murders at the age of 13. It's thought to have been his parents, but he might have killed somebody else just that same year as well. But then he kind of just went off on his own doing shit for a long time. Yeah. Eventually he was brought in by Spaulding, who met him while he was hitchhiking. The family took a shine to him. He's the one that started calling them the Fireflies. He's the one that started calling Baby Angel Baby, which was then shortened to Baby later. And they kind of all followed oh. his lead. Spaulding was a killer before that, but wasn't like a crazy demented fucker like, you know, fucking yeah. Otis is. And so he's the one that kind of, it's thought sort of led them a little bit more down that path. Right, right. Before they were just sort of like, a white trash outlaw family because like charlie and johnny were doing like moonshine and business and shit like that that would make sense given and ava was a fucking prostitute and this and that so they already weren't good and like i said cutter had already killed people but right not to the extent they do now right right so one question i do have because of all that who do you think perpetuated the names the nicknames that each character has I mean, it seems to be mostly tied to Otis. That's what I was thinking, because um, because of his name. And it seemed, from what I read, is it seemed that even Charlie, he liked the idea of what they were doing with, like, the Firefly and this yeah. and that, so... Yeah, because he adapted one of the names, So too. he grabbed Wolf J. Flywheel. Yeah. What I also like is just the fact that when House of a Thousand Corpses came out, and that was the only one out, and it was, like, early internet days <laughs> where you're having to go on these All message theories, boards yeah. to find fan theories and shit... That was like one of the deep cut references is like, <laughs> by the way, like, did you guys know that all these character names are fucking Groucho Marx characters? Yeah. And then Devil's Rejects comes out and the movie's like, by the way, guys, <laughs> all these character names are Groucho Marx yeah. characters. <laughs> I like how they do that too. Like when they literally spell it out mm-hmm. for you. So I like that. But then there's still a lot that's unknown. Like somebody else might have been RJ's dad. Yeah, I did see some theories about that as well. All we know is Earl Firefly, but they weren't called the Fireflies until Otis came along. Right. And all we know is Grandpa Hugo Firefly. And we don't know if he's actually... A real grandpa um, or... If he's actually Gloria Teasdale's father or not. Yeah. It's just, we have to assume that he is, because we're given nothing else to... Yeah, well, and two, considering the actor couldn't come back because he had passed away. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. He was supposed to have a role in this. That would be fucking. He, and nobody knows what it is. That's the one thing I want to ask a zombie is like. That would be cool. How would Grandpa Hugo have been worked into, into these yeah. events? Huh. I would have liked to have seen that, but like I said, unfortunately. Oh, that's the other part. Dr. Satan does work in. 
Oh, so here's a little bit more of just the lore, because who knows what they're going to work in for Three from Hell, and I want everybody <laughs> to be on the same page. Maybe that does answer our questions, but we'll see. When Otis moved in with the family, and they, not officially, but quote-unquote adopted him, him and Baby immediately took a shine to each other. Nothing I ever read was implied that there was anything romantic, but they were immediately like, we're hanging out, we're doing fucked up shit. <laughs> they even went on their own road trip, which seems to be the start of them doing all the scrapbooks. Uh, they yeah. started doing the scrapbooks. I don't think Mama Firefly started doing scrapbooks until they came back from their road trip where they just did like a fucking string of murders across the United that, States. That's awesome. That was known as the Son of Satan murders. Mm. <laughs> and then I feel like I was still going somewhere else with that. I know we were talking about Dr. Satan, how he fits in. Oh, sometime either when they got back or right before they left, but in that time period where they were just like hanging out and doing fucked up shit. Dr. Satan, according to the Otis biography information that used to be on the Devil's Rejects <laughs> website, ran a cult in Ruggsville, and they were members of his cult for a little while until they got kicked out for killing one of the cult leaders over an altercation over a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> but it's thought that they still might have some sort of connection, and that would explain the weird ritual on Halloween night Ooh. in House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, because it is very cultish. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Dr. Satan, besides being a mad scientist, runs a, a satanic cult in Ruggsville. And I think all of that is just because originally, like, Dr. Satan wasn't even supposed to be a person. And so then he had to somehow work all those backstories yeah, together. And that makes sense when you try to flesh it out like this. Mm -hmm. It just kind of shows you the depth that these characters have. Because on the surface, you can just view them as just serial killers, you know? I mean, that's essentially what they are, but... It's more they than, are. It's this more movie than that. has no good guys. No, but I'm I, rooting for the fireflies by the end of it. But you're not. But really I'm not supposed, supposed to. to. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, and that's I recognize a that I'm not supposed that. to. <laughs> of course, we'll get into that as well. So I know we've been skirting around the film itself. I just wanted everybody to be on the same page, lore wise, yeah, because yeah, who knows what's coming up next. Right, and we're going into the next one in just a few weeks, so we'll see how those questions are answered or not, or just. Maybe nothing's answered, but we get even more information, and it just gives us a bigger view of this world. I'm cool with that. Like I said, it just exploded my mind. I remember <laughs> early on in watching this being like, Captain Spaulding is baby's yeah. father. That kind of blew my mind, too, because I wasn't thinking about those kind of relationships, but it's like, oh, okay, let's go with it. I mean, I like it. So movie itself starts seven months after. Right, because the first one takes place on Halloween 1977. According to Bill, it takes four months to grow that beard out from where it was in, <laughs> in House of a Thousand Corpses. Makes sense. <laughs> All right, so the thing I like about it is how it starts off, too, because you get kind of a up-to-date, like it's May 18th, 1978. There's an operation, Search and Destroy, carried out by... John Quincy Whitehall, the new sheriff, the brother of yeah, George. Tom Tolls. Yeah, Tom Tolls. <laughs> that was the person I was saying that was been in six films. Oh. With uh, with Mosley. Yeah, with Bill Mosley, which is really cool. So anyway, it starts off with Tiny. Right after you get that brief snippet, like, you know, they're going to carry out this order. There's been 75 murders plus that have been documented in diaries and those scrapbooks you were mentioning earlier. And then, yeah, you have this slow drag of this corpse by Tiny. Now, believe this or not, that wasn't Tiny. The actual actor dragging that actress. Was he too fucked physically by that point? I think so. There was something going on with him. 
and they actually had to find a seven foot four stunt double to play that part until he removes his burlap sack and reveals himself. Well, they were having one other. Tr- so I did listen to a little bit of the cast commentary. I didn't listen to a lot of it, but there's one thing that I can add in because it actually ties in directly to the note that I made before I started listening to it. My note was how much dirt ended up Tiny's victim's ass. No kidding, right? And apparently, Sherry was on set the day that they were doing that. And she didn't mention the stunt double for Tiny. But what she did mention in the commentary is that the woman is a stunt person. One of the stunt people on set. That makes sense, yeah. And they were trying to figure out a way to keep... Like, there was a whole thing that day where they were sitting around trying to figure out how to keep shit from going up her ass. That makes... I mean, she's, <laughs> she's completely nude. I don't know what it is they figured out because Sherry didn't mention it, but one of the very last shots where she kind of has her legs in the air with Tiny dragging her, you can kind of see whatever it is that they rigged up to sort of keep her holes clear, sort of like taped against her ass cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I would have never noticed on the DVD, but on the Blu-ray. Right. So... You know, for people like ourselves who go into these films and we analyze them and, you know, we kind of know a little bit of the magic that goes into the filmmaking process. But I think as a casual viewer, that's shit you don't necessarily think about. You know, you just see a corpse being dragged. But I'm thinking, that's an actress right there who's in makeup and she's literally being dragged. right up her ass. But I was also (laughs) thinking, too, what contraption were they using as well? Like... Were they using like a board or something to put her on to give the effect that she's being dragged? I don't know what it was they rigged up, but you can see just like half a second of something (laughs) there. I mean, good on her because that is a hell of a fucking scene to be playing dead in. (laughs) But I mean, she got paid for it, so there's that. But it's a good scene. So what this all leads to is the fact that Wydell and the Ruggsville Police Department are entering the compound cool interesting fact about the compound and charlie's estate and the chicken coop scene like where otis is bringing out adam banjo and roy Mm -hmm. is that all of that shit was on the same property it was all supposed well i don't know within feet of each other is what it was well not maybe this chicken coop wasn't but it was charlie's the house and i think it was the unholy twos trailer were all on the same property well, and the, the Adam and Roy scene was supposed to be at night, but they found Like right that behind property. the house that um, it's an old chicken Captain ranch. Spaulding was in. Yeah. Like they just happened upon it. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. So for them, because this film doesn't have like a huge major budget, that was perfect for cutting down on production costs. It's like, wow, how... How, Look at this fucking place. How awesome like, is this? This is already here. We don't have to build shit. I know this is an old abandoned chicken ranch, and it just looks like this. Yes, it was sitting on like, like a lot of acres of land, just, just left behind. Uh, I was gonna say I know you're a fan of this show, but I did not know if you knew this or not. But in the pilot episode of Supernatural, they use the house, the Firefly house, as as like I guess background, or I'm not sure, but I did read some information about that. Ooh, I'm gonna have to rewatch that pilot. I like that pilot. I was like, wow, I did not know that. But apparently, that house too was used in a lot of films in the '90s as well. How much did you ever get through Supernatural? It's worth watching. Not very. I've seen. I've seen a couple of episodes. Not enough to warrant like, ooh, I'm a, I'm a fan. It's worth watching at least the first five seasons. Past that, it's, it's up to you. Yeah, it's like it's Canadian. It's got good actors, lead actors. I I guess it's gotten good again. 
after season five, it definitely goes downhill for a couple seasons. But I guess it's gotten good again, which is why it's up to like gonna finish <laughs> with like damn. season fifteen I know. or something. Good on those guys, right? Fourteen, fifteen, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we get the whole shootout. This is kind of where I start picking up my notes from. Is Man, that shootout sequence is fucking awesome. I like how that opens up. I think I like Red State because it reminded me of that shootout. Yeah, for real. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, every film... Looking back on it, I'm like, oh, maybe that's why I liked the shootout in Red State. Because it reminded me so much of this shootout. Except this shootout is so fucking boss. It is super (laughs) dope. I read something, too, that it's supposed to kind of like pay homage to another film that kind of carries out like the armor and shootout sequence oh i wonder what that is because i thought that was killer yeah that's one of those things that's like as a kid it's like when you watch some of the shootouts and action movies on tv you're like how fucking dope would it be if you just like strapped some fucking metal (laughs) to you and like got out there and it's like oh you're just shooting me in my fucking metal chest what now bitch no i've actually i got the information you know what i mean yeah it says that shootout sequence it said it's supposed to be very reminiscent of australian bush ranger ned kelly and his gang's last standout at Glen Rowan, says the armor, the scene's presentation, are very similar to other film representations of that tragic final defense. So, thinking about it, though, there's so many things aesthetically, because Zombie himself has stated, like, he's a fan of the music, you know, the clothes, the cars, is the this, films. Is this the horror movie with the best soundtrack? It has a fucking killer soundtrack, man. It really does. I mean, and not like score soundtrack, but like soundtrack soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, soundtrack. You know what I mean? Soundtrack soundtrack. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Not the... Uh, not like film score. We're like, not going to yeah. put it up against like the Suspiria theme. Oh, no, but... no, no. But I mean, the score itself is actually really good. Yeah. Like, it's really good. But the soundtrack is fucking dope because it has those songs from that time period and it fits with the theme of the film, right? It's basically a bunch of outlaws on the run, <laughs> you know? These outlaws happen to be serial killers. The use of the soundtrack in this movie reminded me of Tarantino, which yeah. is one of the like highest compliments I yeah. can give. And that's, man, that's the thing that kind of, it peeves me a little bit when people say they don't like Rob Zombie because he's actually a well-versed guy in all that shit. Like, he knows what he's doing. You might not like the films, but he knows what he's fucking doing. Yeah. One of my notes is fucking baller soundtrack. It is. Yeah. It's fucking good, man. I know we were humming some shit earlier. Did you go through the shootout trying to figure out which one Kane Hodder is? Actually, yeah, I did see him. I mean, he's like the biggest fucking bulkiest guy in that see, scene. I, there was two guys that were kind of bulky, so I couldn't figure out which one for sure he All was. Right. The, the one that I remember the most that stands out to me the most is when they're entering it with the gas mask on. If you're on, looking at is on he screen, on the left side? Yeah, I think he's a little he's the third left one to that the comes door. In? Yeah. Okay. That's I one think I that's Kane Hodder, too. if I'm not mistaken. But then he also kind of looked like he could have been the second one that was shot. I know what you're saying, yeah. And I, that guy was on the right side. I feel like he was the guy who was on the left when okay. he enters. Yeah. Which is kind of neat seeing him, too, in those behind-the-scenes footages because he was a part of the stunt stuff that was going on as well. But, anywho, that whole sequence is dope. Especially when they go in, I'm like, oh, they fucked up. No, you don't go in a house like that expecting to take them out easy. It ain't happening, Captain. But they're armed to the teeth. Of course, Otis and Baby get out. Mama stays behind because Rufus dies. But not until he takes some people out with him. And I think it was deleted scenes for House of a Thousand Corpses where it's hinted that Mama and Rufus get it on. Ooh, it wouldn't surprise me. They talk about going out hunting bears. <laughs> Just one other little throwback to House of a Thousand Corpses and because I didn't get too much further than like a scene from now in the uh, crew commentary... But they open up the crew commentary 
when Tiny is dragging the victim by saying, oh, he moved on real quickly from that stump. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, uh, the thing, I was wondering if we were going to bring that up because I know we got a kick out of it. Stump. That is some of the best shit on House of a Thousand Corpses, like the special feature stuff. Oh, my fucking Those knock, God. knock, knock, knock. Who's there? Tiny? Tiny? Tiny fucked his stump. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad they brought that up for that matter. Oh, right off the fucking bat, dude. They're That's just awesome. Like, oh, you moved on from that stump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, give them credit, right? Credit where it's due. I wondered too. All right, now I know this film takes place in the seventies, but how much of Tiny's character did you think was inspired by Freddy Krueger? I mean, some of the makeup. Yeah, but... not his character per se, right? But yeah, the makeup effects. Some of the perhaps. makeup, I feel like, especially in this one, I feel like you get a couple better looks at his face in this one. Yeah, because he has a mask on in the first one. For the most part. Yeah. I think you see like one scene of him with a mask off, but I don't remember for sure. But it's so similar that you can't say that it wasn't influenced. Yeah, and like, I think the shootout's awesome. They escape in those where we're talking about Otis and uh, Baby. I want to say during that scene, too, when they're coming out of that drain, you know, the sewage or whatever, is there's a sign in the background that you can catch, and it says something to the effect of on the run again. And then they cut to the music. Oh, that's when they call up Spalding. Yeah, it's like not too long after that. Yeah, because during that opening oh, sequence, right. yeah, they kill when that they're woman too. well, they kill the woman. But when they were coming out of the sewer and shit, that wasn't supposed to be all montaged and like opening sequence. That was just supposed to be a scene. Yeah, I saw a little bit more of the extended yeah of that. From what I understood too is they had to cut this film down a lot just to get a rated R because. It was like initially NC-17. We've already talked about the fact that that's a death knell for a lot of films, mm-hmm. you know, getting off the floor. So he had to pare it down a lot, like seven different times. Well, I did watch the unrated cut. And you know how I know I watched the unrated cut? A couple minutes longer? Because about 30 seconds after what we're talking about right now, I ended up seeing about a second and a half of Captain Spaulding's oh, goddamn yeah. ball sack. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, I guess they went there. <laughs> Oh, fucking Spalding's balls. I mean, that is a funny... It's fucked up that we see that, but it's a funny sequence within itself because you don't realize it's Here's a dream. Here's the first time you see Spalding in this movie. Yeah, and he's banging out the porn actress we talked about earlier. And you're like, oh, cool. And then you're like, oh, he's got some fucking grody fucking teeth, bro. <laughs> Next time you're going to have to pay me. Yeah. Are you calling me a fucking whore? <laughs> Calls it like I see Yeah. <laughs> This is, I don't think, I know. <laughs> you know? And then, of course, she grabs the gun. It cuts to her shooting. And then he wakes up. And then <laughs> he's got a big girl in bed next to him. And he's got some grody fucking underwear on. <laughs> hey, he said he liked more cushion for the pushing. I mean, I'm not blaming him for what he likes. I'm just saying. Better him I'm than me. I'm just saying it's like continuities in line like, it really is <laughs> he has some of the funniest lines to her too like calls her a spastic mongoloid <laughs> didn't you get enough ass banging last night <laughs> yeah it was pretty good she throws her flip-flop at him and i thought it was i mean it's nothing it's not a big deal but i was like oh shit that's on the back of his truck and she ain't getting the flip-flop back. That's the same thing i thought i was like oh she just fucked up she ain't she getting that flip-flop she ain't back. going nowhere now <laughs> for real <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that whole sequence is funny, man, because, yeah, he gets the call. Well, first, they were actually watching that commercial, which is kind of funny, because he paid all that good money for oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get to see some of that, too, like the full one in the special features, mm-hmm. which is cool. But, yeah, the whole point is is they're on the run, right? 
they're going to try to meet up with Captain Spaulding at a location that was already predetermined. Kiki Pines Motel. Right. And so when Otis and Baby get there, they just so happen upon a group of people that happen to be there as well. And that's when I think for me... And they truly have their own... Like, this is another thing where, especially upon rewatch, and after having seen one of his movies just a couple weeks ago, this movie felt, once again, Tarantino-esque to me. Zombie doesn't go as deep into it as Tarantino would have, but these people are already having their own story that seems to be kind of interesting, and they seem to be kind of a fun little group. I do like the adventure stories like this, where... You're following multiple characters, and they all have their own little storyline, like you were saying. And then, of course, we it just merges. don't go deep into theirs. We right, have that right. one scene it's, that it's really surface. well establishes what they're up to, what they're doing, yeah. how they all interact with each other, how they all shit on Jimmy Cracker. <laughs> yeah, I feel kind of bad for Brian Posehn. They do fuck with him a lot. Uh, one of the funniest things that he actually says. Is you know he's talking about wanting to be in the the rodeo like he wants to be a clown. He's like, "Are you high?" He's like, "Yes." I mean, no. I mean, no. Not Was that, have you been smoking? It's like, yes, no, not right now. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, they sent him on a fool's errand. Well, he has a fucking right at like ten seconds after that. He had a line that I I had to write down because of how ambiguous it is and how it's both like a fuck you and like. I'm kind of grateful. And he's just like, you know, I could have been down on that, was it? I could have been down on that oil rig in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. But he delivers it so flat where you're like, are you saying you should be grateful that I'm here? Are you saying, like, I wish I was there right now? That's like, a good point, man. Well, it's also cleverly for him. Or that pit crew down in North Carolina. Right, yeah. But I think it's a, a clever line because it almost in a weird way it's kind of like his outcome like his fate because we know not too soon after that he's gonna get not even supposed to be not even supposed to be here i could have been down in north carolina well yeah he has a completely different fate because of that so anyway in sequence with that too spaulding's truck breaks down and then he has an encounter with pj souls and that little boy i had to write down this movie so i actually wrote it down a long time ago in my notes but as we're getting up to this I gotta point out that for me, this is the most quotable horror movie since I Henry Porched a fucking serial it. killer. Yeah. I have been all week long spouting off lines to whoever <laughs> will fucking listen to me. Yep. And as you get into fucking him jacking the car, you got all sorts of the fucking important clown business. This shit's so silly. Aren't we fucking funny? <laughs> I actually wrote a lot of that shit down too. Because, right, he tells PJ Souls' character. He's like, he's on official clown. official clown, clown biz. Yeah, and she's that like... Su- that supersedes anything that you need to do with your vehicle. And she's like, you know, she's kind of giggling or whatever. And he says, do wash daughter, bitch? <laughs> I kept saying that <laughs> to my sister all week. <laughs> and oh, man. You're right, but like, he winds up punching her and getting in the car. And the kid's, you know, of course, visibly. The kid does kind of a mediocre job of portraying that he's actually yeah, terrified. Yeah, the kid kind of. He kind of has a, a smirk, a little bit of a grin on his face. Just a little bit. I can imagine why, because he's probably been cussed out a lot during that sequence. <laughs> right? So the whole point is, is when he's in the car, Captain Spaulding with that kid, he asks the kid if he likes clowns. The kid starts shaking his head, and that's when he goes into... Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? <laughs> and he's like, if you can't give me a reason, or if you ain't got a reason why you don't like clowns, I'm going to kill your whole fucking family. <laughs> right? Then he shoes the kid away, and he's like, shit, woo! 
Ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yes. laughing to himself. Right, right, right. So all that, it follows the point that we talked about that um, Roy's dumbass winds up running into Baby, and she gives him one of those lines, too. It's like, I bet, I bet all, all the girls, girls want to fuck, fuck you. Say that again. Like, yeah. <laughs> what? Say that again. This is like, do you kiss your mama with that mouth? That ain't the only thing you do with this mouth, mister. He's like, what? Say that again. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, of course, he fucks up. And then Jimmy Bryan comes back, gets his brains blown out. And I think, for me, that was the first sign of, like, oh, where it's going to go there. <laughs> yeah. It's going there. Because, dude, spews, throw up. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is awesome. This is what I like about these kind of films. Let's see. Oh, that's when uh, Baby starts to do the, the Chinese, I was, Japanese, I, I, that was my, my, You were doing that earlier this week. I was laughing because I knew what you were saying. Oh, my God. Like, that doesn't fly now, does it? No, of course not, right? <laughs> I mean, this ha- that hasn't technically supposed to have fl- no, flown for a while. For a long but... time, but... Yeah, you say that now, you're going to get some sneers. Get some yeah, that was, that was a scene in this movie that I couldn't tell people about. When I'm trying to amp up this film, I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, like she taunts them with a, a fucking r- <laughs> racist sing-along that doesn't even right. apply to All them. Right. <laughs> I knew about that refrain before this movie. Oh yeah, of course. Right? But I'm thinking... Because we grew up... We're just old enough that we grew up when nobody cared. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, of course, and you did too, but we grew up in the time period where like comedians like Sam Kinison and Andrew Dice Clay were around, and if you were young enough like me and got a hold of that shit when you weren't supposed to, all this shit was like gold because there was rarely any kids who had heard that prior to you. So, you, you know, it was funny. And this another thing is like, I do have, you know, some Asian blood in me, but I still find that shit hilarious. It's like, I think it's funny as fuck. Well, and I just think of in the fact of the movie how fucking unnerving it is <laughs> that you've been taken hostage yeah. by these fucking crazy people. You know they're, and they're just they're rubbing in your face how fucking crazy they are. I love it. Like this is how you're torturing us. But but that's what's terrifying is like this yeah. is what you're fucking that's doing it. right I, now. I like that too. <laughs> and even in the fact like she points out that dude's jacket in the fucking in the on the TV. She's mm-hmm. like, Look at that coat. <laughs> it's like what what coat? On the TV. Fuck the TV. <laughs> yeah, it's stuff like that. It's like little stuff like that. But that's the clever thing that Rob Zombie employed in this film is he makes these things feel real. Like these are real conversations. As fucked up as they are, it still feels real enough. Like <laughs> you don't want to get caught up with these motherfuckers, you know? You want to know how else I know I watched the unrated edition? Because the unrated edition is the only one where it's extremely apparent that she sucks his dick for a couple seconds. Oh man, yeah. That is I remember up, seeing it? the theatrical cut and she like, goes down for a second, they but they cut it shorter so that it looks more like he taunted her by like shoving her yeah, down. Yeah, as for opposed a to her. Nom, 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 yeah. nom. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and, and the thing too is thinking about the fact that that is Priscilla Barnes, it's like, man, that's fucked up. And they also talked about the fact too that like that wasn't one of the hardest scenes to shoot. Because people were visibly upset on scene. and mm-hmm. I mean, given. Yeah, of course they are. <laughs> like, You're not whoa. supposed to not be upset with what's going on. Yeah, and to the actors and actresses' credit and you know everybody else is like, you get a script, you know what's in the script, and you know that's coming. And of course they do table read, and I'm pretty sure they rehearse it. So, But still, it's believable enough. It's visceral enough. I would imagine even shooting it. 
But that's the point of that scene itself is that it's supposed to be shocking and make you feel a certain way. And, you know, as much as you might not like it, it did its job. Absolutely did its job. Or considering the way that both me and you end up feeling towards the end of this movie, I'm not sure if it did its job because we still kind of end up rooting <laughs> for the fireflies. I mean, we do. But the point <laughs> being is, is like... Man, but this should be the up. this should be the moment where you're like, I can never root for them. <laughs> right, 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 right. But you don't because there's these weird redeeming qualities that they have. Yeah, because of the relationship. The, yeah, you end up seeing all the family shit after this. You end up seeing like the two D right. fucking fruity. And exactly because that's a scene. It's playful. That's something that any family. I won't even say normal family because they're not. But any family probably has something like that that you can relate to. Even some of those homage clips at the end, like the oh, family yeah. video stuff. Yeah. You know, you're like, these are fucking serial killers. But that's the point. And I think what's interesting, too, on a social commentary level, I don't know how much he is, perhaps he is, is pointing kind of like this finger at pop culture, maybe uh, sensationalizing serial killers. And, you know, there's this weird obsession. It's an interesting obsession. Like, I think all that shit's interesting psychologically, you mm-hmm. know. It's like, I don't get off on the killings themselves, but this shit happens. There's a reason why these things happen. And then that's that's the thing that's fascinating to me. But there's also this weird celebrity status that we attribute to some of these people as well. Well, and here's the other thing, is that, especially in the case of, like, us watching, like, the Fireflies in this movie, is that they're interesting. They certainly are. It's not what you normally get. It's these fucking out-of-this-world characters, but without them, like, what the fuck would this be? Like, it'd be fucking Officer Doofy running <laughs> around, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me, like, when we talked about, like, Jason X. At a certain point in the Friday the 13th series, at a certain point in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, on a certain point in, like, Hellraiser, yeah, like, sure. you start identifying with, or at least rooting for, the villain, because that's the constant... The victims aren't constants, even though you're supposed to be rooting for them. Like, especially when you have killers that are this efficient, they're just not sticking around. And when you have personalities on top of the killers that are this big, of course you end up rooting for them. Yeah, I mean, you kind of can't help but. but and then with what ends up to... happening to them in the end, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, go on once on. Wydell catches up with them. Yeah, and then that's the thing. That's the thing that really intrigues me about that that dynamic is... If you followed House of a Thousand Corpses, then you know like these are not good people, of course. You follow them in this one, and the evidence is put out in front of you to get at the beginning. The hotel room's super fucked up. Yeah, the hotel room's fucked up. We haven't up. even gotten where it ends up with no. the chick hung up with her fucking husband's face on that it. That is like... dope. Yeah, we're still in that that whole sequence, right? So that's how, like I said, you got 75 murders. You see the girls, the cheerleaders, in that little fucking dungeon pit thing they're in, the cages. So you know that this shit's fucked up. They kill that maid who... What I thought was kind of neat was the way that they're positioned, the way she finds baby, and then how she ends up is in the same position. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, that's clever. That was clever. But, right, so we get the fact that we talked about Jimmy's dead, right? We know that. Captain Spaulding had his thing. I know we're kind of getting back. Otis takes Roy and Adam out to find the guns that he'd buried a while back. Because of this. Not because of them, but because of the events that they're in. Which... (laughs) Some of my favorite shit. Dude, that's absolutely... So, the fucking... Him paraphrasing text makes it sound way more badass, first off. 
that's towards the end of this whole sequence, but text from the, the Manson murders. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what did he say? He said I something. Couldn't, I couldn't tell you the exact quote he said. Because he said, like, I think he said, like, I am Satan and I'm here to do the devil's work. But uh, Otis doing, like, I am the devil yeah. and I'm here to do the devil's work. You're like, oh, shit. Flows so much better. I love that line, There's too, not cause... a lot of times where I like the same word being used twice in a row, but I feel but like... That's perfect. He's encapsulating that whole moment. Otis, back in the fucking hotel room, has one of my favorite lines in <laughs> I all think of I fucking say, yeah. There's not many lines in anything that I remember as well as, boy, the next word's out of your mouth better be some brilliant fucking Mark Twain shit, because it's definitely getting chiseled on your tombstone. I know. It shut Adam right the fuck up. Damn. What? Yeah, I'm like, wow. Permanently etched in my mind from the first time I saw the fucking movie. Yeah, it's... That's the coolest fucking... Stone cold. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, he, he's out there in that field looking for the guns. And that's around those chicken coops, that chicken ranch. And Adam wants to be the hero. And he's doing a good job for a little bit. And then they fuck up. <laughs> All right? And then that's the whole moment that you know, like, there is nothing redeeming that anybody can do that's going to stop them, necessarily. And uh, he fucks old Roy up. Then he winds up fucking up Adam. He tells him that line, that refrain. And that's right after he's mocking Roy for praying. <laughs> God bless all the little creatures, whatever he says. And then he saws off or he chops off Adam's face and comes back a little bit later on and sp- <laughs> spooks Spalding, which is good. Let's see. Baby winds up killing Gloria, who's Priscilla Barnes's character. The one thing that kind of peeves me a little bit about that scene is when the girl goes into the bathroom and she has the back piece of the toilet, is that she doesn't immediately go out and try to club baby with it. Right. I was like, that would probably be my first instinct was like, all right, I got something clunky. I'm not going to be screaming like an idiot, and uh, I want to try to fuck this bitch up. (laughs) But she doesn't. She fucks up. You can definitely see the use of CGI in that sequence when Priscilla pulls out the knife. And they talked about it, too. It's like a lot of the blood and gore is they try to do it digitally to kind of enhance it, and you can totally see that in, in that particular sequence they said too because it wasn't going to work practically like sherry trying to throw a knife and they didn't have the time to right yeah because they shot this in 30 days they wanted to do everything error appropriate but ultimately they had a shooting schedule that they had to adhere to it doesn't so. look bad but you can definitely tell it's it's cg long story short long-winded story short is wendy banjo adam's wife runs into spalling he headbutts her they go back into the motel room Eventually, Otis comes back, fucks with them. They have plans for her. They leave her in the motel room. What happens when the maid shows up is another one of my favorite sequences in the entire film. Because that is, like, it's pretty gruesome. But it's also, like, an homage, of course, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's another way of giving two movie references. Because it's also a throwback to what Otis does in a house with uh, that girl's dad's face. So I like those little nods, those little paybacks, too, and that shit. But yeah, that maid finds the corpses in the bathroom, the girl's hooked on the door, freaks her out, who wouldn't be freaked out by that, and then she runs out in the highway and gets smacked by that semi-truck, and uh, what follows is when they find her on that road, it reminded me a little bit of Atros, the way they oh. find like the brains and shit, it's like, that's actually, that looks pretty good, even though like when she gets hit, you can tell, you know, they cut that in, because mm-hmm. I don't think you would immediately see that like that. Right, right. But the way that they show the after effects is really good, too. 
Yeah, that, that puts a whole different pursuit on because now the three are together. This is something I had to look into. I didn't, wouldn't even thought about that, but the license plate that is on the van that Roy and the group that he was with, yeah. there's three letters. I think it says Aku or A-K-U. Okay. And apparently that's Japanese for, I think it said the devil or something oh, of that cool. nature. Okay. Yeah, so that wasn't by accident. It was deliberately done. And that was kind of neat. But anyway, that sets up the whole thing. I'm like, they're eventually going to meet up with Charlie. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. Oh, that's also when the Unholy Two show up at that crime scene. Do you think we're going to get any more information about the Unholy Two? I hope so. Considering that Danny Trejo is coming back, right. I would hope so a little bit. Because they're not really fleshed out that much. They just no. want to come in, do their job, and from what I understand, they're just bounty hunters. I don't know. Which to is what... funny. I mean, that's the thing. That's what their character is supposed to be. They come in and do their job. You right. Know what I right. mean, and so they do their job and they do it effectively. They and get that's the, the fuck whole out. point. Yeah. But... But you know they have a history of doing this shit because they're pretty proficient at what they do. Well, speaking of history, there's another thing that I didn't mention that is brought up in a couple lines that he has. But at one point, Charlie and Captain Spaulding, or Charlie at least, basically lived closer to everybody before he went out and did his own shit. And part of the big split is because Charlie and Otis had a falling out. And nobody knows exactly the reason for their fallout, but it's thought that Charlie was selling moonshine and prostitutes to the local police ah. behind everyone else's back and not giving the cut. Gotcha. Yeah, I can see that. I can see it too, like causing too much of a scene, like having mm-hmm. the fuzz around, <laughs> even if they're on payroll. So the thing I like about that sequence, like leading into all of that, that's when you have the tootie fucking fruity scene. That's a memorable scene within itself. It's a gif, for crying out loud, right? Right. So that's fun. All right. The Unholy Two. Pretty badass guys, right? The scene at the trailer park, it's pretty interesting. Like I said, they kind of flesh it out a little bit, some of the backstory of uh, what you were just mentioning. It. There's also a sequence when Wydell with his mother Firefly and winds up stabbing her to death, essentially. Right. <laughs> Which is good, because earlier she does taunt him with his brother's Polaroids. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd fucking set his ass off. Fuck, right? Yeah, that really set him off. And not too long after, Otis, Baby, and Spaulding arrive at Charlie's. The thing I like about that is the introduction. He gets fucked with. That's another thing that brings you into the whole family thing, though. It's Because once you realize what's happening like, oh, and you see just yeah. how much they fucking love each other. You're like, oh, that's so cool. And like everybody's back together and yeah, having a good time. Partying. Who doesn't want to have Partying, that? hot and cold pussy on tap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. So after they have that night of fun, Charlie goes out to get those chickens. And I like that scene because that's like the chicken fucking scene. The guy who's selling the chickens. He was funny. The fucking chicken fucking always just makes me laugh so hard. It's like... I'm not saying you, but your friend here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you I looks, call me you fucker. You look a bit sexually frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I fucked him up. You need to cut their heads off, stick your dick up their ass. And go, <laughs> I like how Ken Foray's character, Charlie, he like responds to that. Mm-hmm. It's so good. That, that whole exchange is awesome. But they wind up running into Wydell, right? Wydell catches wind because of the news that the Unholy Two gave him. He's like, he's not fucking around, right? He wants them, and that's being the Devil's Rejects, by midnight, no fucking around. And I like, too, how that gets played out. It's like there's a betrayal, and it's cool because 
it's all in that music, and it's everybody's getting fucked up, mm-hmm. and the way the Unholy Two come in and do their job, and specifically to DDP, I think he did a fucking good job of just portraying that character, just laughing the whole time. Oh yeah, fucking Otis up, oh, shooting yeah. EG in the head. I remember that whole Charlie selling him out really pissed me off the first few times I saw right. this movie. When I was doing some research and looking at some different shit on this movie yesterday, I ran into this. I didn't fucking write it up. I wish this was my own idea and notice this myself, but I thought it was really neat. It was in the Charlie section on TV tropes, which is like its wiki, its own wiki for tropes and shit. But this is hilarious. Here's the thing about Charlie's character arc, if you look at what he does, which is even funnier because of how much E.G. Daly is mentioning Star Wars. Oh, yeah, good right? point. Good point. He's a suave womanizer and successful entrepreneur who is the black best friend of the oldest member of the power trio, from whom he's been estranged since a noodle incident. They turn to him in a time of desperation, only to be met with hostility, but it turns out he's kidding and welcomes them with open arms. He's forced to betray them by the big bad and they are captured, but he makes amends and attempts to rescue them. Am I talking about Charlie Altamont? Orlando Calrissian. That makes... I was like, when you just said that, it's like, that does sound a lot like Lando. <laughs> His story arc is fucking Lando. Yeah. I wonder how much that was on purpose. Well, considering the reference... They reference Star Wars. And Rob Zombie's already said he's a fan of the 70s. It would make sense. Why else would he do all that? Why would he That's go to those links? It's though, right? It is, but I like it. <laughs> because... You're right. That's a trope you can fit in with this character, and it's flawless. You necessarily wouldn't connect the two unless you have that reference. I know Rob says on the commentary that he's a cokehead. Like, we do see them doing coke, yeah. but, like, apparently he's, like, a straight-up cokehead, so. Understandable. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another kind of neat thing about the name Charlie Altamont itself. He said that it's inspired by the Rolling Stones' documentary Gimme Shelter. Oh, right. Which is a part of Hell's Altamont. Angels member. Yeah. Yeah, at the Altamont Speedway. Actually, I've seen that documentary. It's, it is fucked up. With, they had Hell's Angels as security. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck were you thinking? Yeah, and of course, Charlie gives shelter to the Firefly family. Well, and the two events that were the quote unquote fucking end of the 60s. Yeah. Or, I mean, this is it happened later on, but you know, the end of that era, Manson murders. Right, exactly. Altamont. Exactly. Those are the two things that killed the era that once upon a time in Hollywood, since we've brought up Tarantino's <laughs> name a few times, yeah. was all about. Makes sense, man. There you go. And these guys grew up during that time period, too, mm-hmm. so they can't help but reference that. I had a big, long-winded discussion about that this weekend. Yeah. Influences in the time you grew up in. All right. So once the family gets captured, old dummy, Wydell that is, brings it back to the Firefly Ranch. He fucks him up good, though. I'll give him credit. He fucks him up pretty good. So I got to say, it wasn't until these last two times watching this movie that I realized that that dream he has with his brother is him making a turn. Oh, yeah. Like, to me, he was such an asshole from the beginning of this movie that I thought, even before that dream, that it was apparent that he was going to get to this stage. And that's not me saying, like, I guessed this movie. This <laughs> right. is me saying, like, I feel dumb for not realizing that that scene was supposed oh, to be, no, like, no doubt. a turning yeah. point for him. Yeah, for sure. Like, he, he fucked up. <laughs> he just doesn't realize it. He thinks he's carrying out the justice. Mm-hmm. Nope. I always kind of felt like he was on that track from the get-go. Yeah. I know what you're saying just because of his personality, mm-hmm. his character's personality. Yeah. But you're right. That is a huge turning point. Like... You can tell, like, he's walking a fine line. He even says that shit. He's walking a fine line. But that broke his fucking... That was it. 
God, that fucking that dream. I know we already kind of passed it, but that dream is dope. Tom Tolles' little fucking yeah, thirty little seconds cameo. of this movie is. It's good. It's fucking good. It sets it sets up you things like that. Just a titch, just enough. <laughs> Not like Leslie when she in a couple first scenes way earlier, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, family's captured, and this is when it, you're like. Yeah, you, you sympathize with them now because they're getting tortured. And there's, Ot- I mean, fucking Spalding's trying to take the one for baby. and She's like, no, that's mine. And she gets fucked up. And the nails get driven through the hands. You're like, oh, god damn, he ain't fucking around. He lets baby go, and then he sets the house on fire. And, of course, that whole sequence with him and her is a throwback to house when she's like, run, rabbit, run. Right. He doesn't say smell, that. But, but he does say that it smells, smells like, like rabbit. Ra- and he's telling her to run. So, of course, that's what's happening. Well, and then reversal. right before Tiny gets him, he's got the fuck me, no, fuck you, like yeah. Otis earlier. And so you realize, like, if the dream didn't set you off, this should be when, like, he's become them. Exactly. Even without knowledge of those events, he ends up doing the same exact things that they yeah. did. Yeah, and that kind of harkens back, like, you know, be careful about chasing demons yeah, he or whatever. fights monsters. Yeah, exactly. So... Makes I saw sense. the devil. Yeah, precisely. But there is a moment. You're not supposed to have it. There's a moment of relief when you see Tiny behind him. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, at that point. You're not supposed the, to. <laughs> if anything, I mean, I think at that point, even for the average person who doesn't end up becoming Firefly fanboys like us, should feel relief because then they're just not seeing a murder. Right. You know what I'm saying? I exactly. mean, even though they then see a murder, but... <laughs> but not... Uh, a murder's a murder, I suppose, but maybe not as harrowing, perhaps, because he's strangling her, but regardless... Tiny's technically, at that point, doing it in self-defense. Yeah. Well, not self... You know what I mean, though. In right, defense right. of somebody else. Preservation for the mm-hmm. family. <laughs> but yeah, then he goes down and saves uh, Spalding, and... Tiny suicide gets me. Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, bawling from it, but... But yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, it does make sense, too, because... You know, born of the fire, die of the fire, whatnot. So, I mean, it was kind of, in a way, it was poetic for his character. And, of course, we know what happened to him, the actor that is, ultimately. So, even if he wanted to, he couldn't carry out the character. But, yeah, it is a little sentimental there. So, they're free. Unfortunately, Charlie does get axed while he's trying to help Baby, right? He does try to help out. He just gets caught up in that shit. So, it's just down to them three. Everything looks good until they run into that roadblock. Have you ever heard Freebird the same since? No, I haven't. You know, that's a good point. You know, I don't know about you guys up here. I can't really speak for Montana in, in general. But in the southeast, Southern Rock's huge. Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker, all those bands. Huge. Here in Missoula, it's not huge. I guarantee you, you go about 60 miles outside this city, it is a lot bigger. See, that's what I'm getting <laughs> at. It's like, I can't speak, but it's iconic regardless. You don't have to grow up in a certain place to know Freebird and how iconic it is. But you're right, it, it just gives it a whole different meaning. Because prior to that, I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking that. It's just like, oh, it's just a country boy anthem, <laughs> you know? It's a southern fucking rock song, it's awesome. But yeah, now it's like cemented in that scene. So, yeah. And it fits, I, I like it, man. And for all these years, we've thought that they perished in a blaze of gunfire. Well, actually, my last note is uh, I put, they're confronted on the highway by law enforcement and go out in a shootout or a blaze of glory. And I did the ellipsis, or do they? <laughs> because there's a cutaway. Like, there's at least a freeze frame, and then it cuts out to just, like, a 
probably a helicopter ride over of that whole winding road. Yeah, you're like, you're not supposed to sympathize with them, but you do by the end. It's just, for me, it's just like one of those those chase what, movies. That just it, For it's me, so that helicopter over is what, especially for all these years, not thinking we were getting another one. Mm-hmm. And I've always been on board like, I want another one. Yeah, likewise. I don't care if you have to bring them back from the dead as fucking zombies. You're Rob Zombie. Fucking do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, at this point, let's just do it. But the ending of this was so bittersweet because that helicopter flight over after the blaze of glory and the cut into black and the, the freeze frames and shit, to me, was always like, that's their journey continued. This is what they were going to keep doing. This is like their, yeah, this is kind yeah, of like yeah, their spirits continuing sense. on, right, right? Which is a way more beautiful thing than their spirits should be doing, considering right. all the evil that they've. But that's caused, also but... that would make sense because he shows before they get shot out is like that home video of them is bright and sunny and it's playful and it's like it's not a moment you would imagine that group having, but they do, and it's a humanizing moment essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you would like you were saying. That's, that's what brings that the emotion to it for yeah. me. Like, you hit the credits, and it's like, this is their escape that they didn't get to do. Yeah, and that whole scenery is actually is really pretty, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But yeah, overall, man, it's I'm glad, of course, that they're doing Three from Hell. Otherwise, we wouldn't be gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this one does have such a, a kind of a really cool history, too. I know with the both of us, especially during that time period, like I so said, once again, I was getting into film collecting, and... This was like one of those strings of films along with High Tension and the Hostels and Saws that was like, there was like this new wave of very visceral film that the 90s didn't really have, parts of the 80s mm-hmm. didn't really have. It was just, it was like a nice throwback era. Maybe we've already kind of touched on this by one of the other things we might have said, but so for you, going back through it these last two times, knowing you were doing it in preparation for the podcast... What stood out to you most this time around? Oh, good point. Aside from like knowing who these actors are now, didn't <laughs> even think about it back then. Like I did not recognize a lot of the people. Regardless, for me, I think it's knowing the craftsmanship that, that went into this film. Not just the references to other films, but just knowing that you can view this like social commentary, like I was saying earlier. Is like there's some really clever messages in this film. That if you read into it, you can drive from it. You know, it's harkening back to that whole Manson thing and how it's been glorified and how many times you see it in media. And with them, you know, it's a family that you're not supposed to be rooting for, but you do. <laughs> Which is completely different, I think, from House of a Thousand Corpses for that same reason. is They felt more cartoonish in House, whereas in this, is like, these are real characters. Yeah. You know, so I like the contrast even though I like both films, like I like them both for their own merits, but I feel like this one, like so with you and me reviewing it, it's just like, man, it just, it gives me a better appreciation for the film as a whole, like the whole craftsmanship behind it. So for me, I guess to answer my own question, so not super long ago, we kind of revisited House of a Thousand Corpses because of Test Your Fright. And it was almost the opposite of what I noticed my first couple times through this movie. Whereas the first few times through this movie, it's almost jarring how different this is than House of a Thousand Corpses. And this time through, I started to notice how similar it still is to House of a Thousand Corpses. It's just a lot more focused. No he doubt. still uses a lot of the super weird transitions, using like 
home footage and different kind of footage intercut in between scenes to move exposition and stuff along but that's the thing in this one he does it with a purpose and it feels like it's part of the universe and it's focused whereas in house of a thousand corpses it's literally just these weird intercuts that kind of give you a better idea of the kind of insanity you're dealing with and i'm kind of thinking more of like the baby intercuts right now but yeah yeah, yeah. uh, saying that but in this one it's shit like television reports but what he's doing isn't different than what he did in house of thousand that's a very very solid point yeah there isn't much that has changed in what he's doing it's just that he's focused yeah it's focused he's perfected it and it's a way of telling a story that like you said it's it's paying attention to those details or it's shit like when you have the transition into the scene with Otis leading Roy and shit out into the fucking chicken farm. Yeah. The transition into that is it slides across and it's a fucking... <laughs> it's Roy and Adam, was that his name? Yeah, yeah. With their arms draped over each other in better times and then it slides across. I like that stuff. You're right. It That's exactly the same sort of shit he was doing in it, House of Thousand really Corpses. Is. But this is all very much pertaining to what you're seeing and helps like relay the emotional journey that these characters already went on before you exactly. saw Exactly. Without being super expositional in your face. That's a very solid point, man. This is a more focused film overall. I think that's probably why it's a little bit more critically acclaimed as well, you know, amongst fans and reviewers alike. I yeah. think even Ebert was favorable to this film believe it or not uh, uh ebert and roper yeah both were which is kind of surprising considering you know we've talked about how many times they've shit over films but there are the odd moments where they do appreciate a well-crafted film which this is so that's why it still miffs me a little bit that people do take turds on uh, rob zombie and it's like yeah he's not the greatest filmmaker in the genre but he's also well-versed he knows this what the is fuck one he's of doing. My favorite movies. It's it's a great film, man. I was excited because Jeff was looking forward to watching it. We made a point to well, I attempted to watch it last night. I mean, of course he did, but we made it a point to watch it going mm-hmm. into you and I reviewing it. So even amongst my family, amongst our friends, it's still a film that holds water. Tootie fucking fruity. Tootie fucking fruity, and I I love that man because. He's like so resistant, and then it happens. <laughs> and it's so funny. It's good. It's playful. Oh, man. Yeah. It's quotable, like you were saying. It's a fun film. It had some really, really solid moments. It's like, man, he went there, and I'm thankful that he did. It almost feels a little like like watching maybe The Last House on the Left for the first time. It's like, ooh, it kind of leaves you with a weird pit, but it doesn't linger as long. Oh, this is, too. I want to point out that I do actually... Along with this movie, I love a couple of the deleted scenes. I'm just really glad they weren't in the finished product. Right, right, right. Rosario Dawson was in this movie. Yeah, yeah, that was somebody we were going to mention. She was in this movie for 40 40 seconds. seconds, yeah. She plays a nurse. That scene got cut. I'm glad it got cut. Yeah, because... It wouldn't have flowed with the rest of the movie. It wouldn't have made sense at all. But I do think it's considered canon. Yeah. I think Dr. Satan might still be alive. We don't know what happens to him. His heart was still beating after he ripped out Rosario Dawson's throat. Well, yeah, exactly. So even at the end of House, even though he's not technically in Devil's Rejects, is that Satan didn't die. It was other homeboy who got collapsed in on. The professor. Yeah, the professor, right? Because at the end... Earl. Earl Firefly. Yeah. (laughs) At the end, Dr. Satan's still experimenting on the kids. 
Right. Although that might just be a hallucination. It could be, yeah. Very well could be. But Dr. Satan was captured in the raid. Yeah. According to the deleted scene. Exactly. So maybe the, maybe we'll see him in three. There's another deleted scene I fucking adore. It would have ruined the pacing of the movie. But if you enjoy this movie and you've never watched it, <laughs> go watch the deleted scene with Otis and Candy. That's good. That's that make a is, funky video or something oh like that. Oh my god, it's so fucking it funny. It is funny. It's this awesome montage of like the time they were spending together at Charlie's with her being super fucking drunk and like there's like three things that they're cutting between <laughs> and it's it one is so her funny. being super fucking drunk and not wanting to give him the gun. Right. Which is by the way, why she was laying on top of the gun yep. when Diamond Dallas Page came in. Exactly. Well, yeah, you're right. He had to pare down so much of that sequence. He just had to leave in certain... Yeah, but the it fleshed out one... perusing over the menu to try to see what he was going to try to do with wow. her. Wow. Wasn't there something like she puts a sombrero on the tip of his penis? Oh, yeah. There's one where he eats pancake batter off yep. her ass. And there's one where she puts a wick in the end of his dick and dips his balls Not in that's hot what wax. Th- yeah. <laughs> so you want to try that? Who the fuck would pay for that? <laughs> That's a very pop, and she starts. Getting, she gets emotional. E.G. Daly is amazing in that scene. She really because is. She does such a good emotional drunk girl. It, she does. She's like she's not. I've got a headache and I'm tired. I even like. I know we didn't get to talk about it a little bit, but one of the first scenes she has in the film itself. The pr- the whining about the farmers only yeah. want hand jobs and they save the real shagging for the sheep. It's like man, that's just funny. Ten dollar. <laughs> Yeah. Tommy fucking Pickles. I know, right? Who would have fucking thought it? But she does such a great job in this yeah. film. She did a great job. I might job. watch this movie like three more times this week. I like, wouldn't blame you, Now man. I'm on a fucking roll. Like, I just... It's so fun for me. Man, you know, in an ideal world for us right now, it would be fun to see The Devil's Rejects and Three from Hell on that double feature night. Right. It's just not going to work out for us. but No, because I'm going to Social D that Right. Week. And I know we, well, that week you're off, but I have to work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's just, it probably wouldn't work. But it would have been fun. I'm, but hey, regardless. I'm going to be fucking fine with the poster. That's for sure, son. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, there's so many things I do enjoy about this film. There's very and little that I... it doesn't mean that on the way up, we can't play it on like my tablet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, overall with this film, there's not a lot of things... Very little, if at all, that I can say that. Uh, just that little thing I said earlier about, like, the fucking bathroom thing, you know, on the toilet. She could have oh. used that, but yeah. that, whatever, it doesn't make a fuck difference. Whatever. I'm kind of glad the way she got dealt with anyway. It was more awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish the Blu-ray wouldn't have made me notice how much the knife fling was CG, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was less noticeable on the DVD. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't, like, it wasn't horrible, but it's noticeable, like... It's effective, right? It's just mm-hmm. the way she pulls it out. It's like, oh yeah, it doesn't that doesn't look real? That doesn't look no. But but uh, they did what they had to do. I'm oh, fine with it. One thing that we didn't say, I do want to mention this guy because I liked it. I thought it was a little bit on the nose. Was the film critic coming in? Oh, and yeah, the whole Elvis Presley and Groucho thing. That scene's so fucking funny. Though. It is funny. It's on the nose. Oh, that scene's so fucking funny. I <laughs> I really liked it. What do you say? Hip gyrating <laughs> sex maniac or some shit like that. If you weren't a police officer, I'd ring the neck. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, just, no, you wouldn't. No. <laughs> Look at one. this guy. Right, you better tone it down, bro. 
once again, he said, oh, fucking Wydell, man. Yeah. Elvis Aaron Presley. I thought that was, in a funny way, I thought it was interesting that just happened to watch Bubba Hotep, not thinking about that fucking scene. And the whole point is Bruce Campbell is Elvis Presley. Right. <laughs> so I was like, man, this is too funny. This is too weird. But yeah, just so many memorable things in this film. I really enjoyed doing this. And I really enjoy it that you guys have listened to us suck off this movie for all this time. <laughs> well, we've told you guys a long time ago that we are Rob Zombie fans, and specifically this film, and we like House, House of Lobs. Yeah. So for you, which do you like more? Uh, it depends on what mood I'm in. Like, yeah. if I'm, like, super stoned, I love watching House, because it is a little comical. crazy. Right. Yeah. If I want something a little bit more focused, a little bit more serious, I'll throw this one. Like, a little bit more gritty. I want something a little mm-hmm. bit more grindhouse and visceral this one for sure right so i like them for their own reasons i can't say like i like this one more or they're like having two kids yes they're both my babies i love them for their own reasons this should have been the one that was in test your fright yeah i mean looking on it now yeah for sure but we did limit ourselves to movies we had covered so we haven't covered it but we know now right now this would be a perfect one for sure this would be better than replace it with with house house Yeah. yeah that's the other thing so this was the one that got good reviews the name isn't as off-putting as House of a Thousand Corpses. What do you think of the percentage of the audiences that's out there that have seen this and not House? Ooh, if this is your entry? Yeah. Yeah? I'd say there's probably, unless you do your research, there's probably a good portion of people who don't realize the connection. Right. That's kind of what I think, too. And if you're listening to this and are one of those people, then House of a Thousand Corpses isn't as bad as the name implies. If you can watch this movie, you can easily make it through that. Yeah, if you heard us ramble on for this long, then you'll know at least a little bit of the differences. I guess I just kind of wanted to point that out, because I think compared to a lot of sequels, I think there's a lot of people that might have only seen this one. You know, and it's not a bad entry Which point is either. Weird, yeah. But you know, most of the time it's the first one that's considered the best. But yeah, no, I think it's a good point too, and I think it's because of the commercial success of this film, which is interesting because House didn't have like a huge budget. It yeah. had more of a cult following. That's how I found out about it. Like I didn't even know it existed until I was flipping through the channels one night. Right. And then writing off of that, knowing that this was a sequel of sorts, it's not necessary. I mean, it is a sequel, but it's not. It's kind of a different sequel. Yeah. 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 But knowing that, that's why I was so hyped to see it in the first place. I had no clue that House was even in the theater way back when. Yeah, shit. I might watch this movie again tonight. Basically, that's what I'm thinking. It is such a good film. (laughs) Like, I think this one is for definitely fans of the genre. Let me see. What does our schedule look like? We'll be recording an episode next week, but we won't do the next week? I think you're right. Yeah, because we'll be watching Three from Hell. So, over this weekend, Chapter 2 does drop. I'm not sure what our plans are for that, but I know we're going to check it out. Right. And as far for Three from Hell goes, we won't be recording that day. Yeah, because we're it's going to be Monday for us. we're going to be us. going and watching it. I am off that entire week, so I think we're going to talk about it and still do some sort of reaction that week. But yeah, it won't yeah, be yeah. on our normal schedule. We're it's just going to be... Yeah, we're getting back late that night, and then I have shit to do the next day. But maybe the day after that, we'll get together in the afternoon and and throw down 15 minutes of our reaction or something. Or you guys can follow us on Instagram, and we're probably going to be throwing up shit oh, like yeah. basic bitches that entire day, yep. since it's going to be the first official Fried Squirms road trip. So it will be, yeah, fun. Maybe, hopefully have more to follow, because like horror cons so. and shit go on sometimes. Like We can probably hit that shit sometime. I think so, yeah. 
yeah, it'll be the first official Fried Squirms road trip. We'll be fucking basic as fuck. So <laughs> hell yeah, uh, Fried Squirms podcast over on the Instagram. You can always access it through our fucking website www.friedsquirms.com. There's ways to subscribe to us up at the top. The latest episode is always streaming down at the bottom. Archives, Twitter, Facebook, all throughout the middle. Please hit subscribe however you're listening. That would be awesome. If there's the option to leave a review, we would highly recommend that. That can be better for getting our word out than you guys just telling like your friends, though we appreciate it when you do that too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Like We've mentioned a lot of times before, don't be afraid to say hello. Let us know if there's any films that you'd like for us to review, or if you are in the film industry and you need somebody to put some eyeballs on those films let us know we're always up for that that's the thing like if you want to hit us up you can always like dm us or all that other shit yeah we're pretty accessible like any of that social media we mentioned or you can email us squirmcast at gmail.com or hit us up through the website even so yeah for sure like we have various ways where you can say hello and we're pretty responsive i think yeah i'd like to think so too is there anything else I have left to say? I don't have much else left to say. No. I'm, fucking, I'm a little bit buzzed. <laughs> I drank through a, a whole bottle of mead. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. We've been smoking weed, so it fits. Yeah, mead and weed. That's right. I want to point out just this is a, a local mead. So if you're in the area, a hidden legend from Victor. I had some bearded saint today. It was a carbonated apple mead, and it was delicious. Nice. And I'm definitely buzzed. And I have been smoking some Bay 11 weed. Because that's what we do here. Yeah. You should know about a name by now. <laughs> but yeah. It's been a fun episode, man. I was really looking forward to this. And I'm glad we got to review. Yeah, me too. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. out.